The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Jesus said to Nicodemus, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not be lost, but may have eternal life. For God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but so that through him the world might be saved. No one who believes in him will be condemned, but whoever refuses to believe is condemned already, because he has refused to believe in the name of God's only Son. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's talk about the Trinity in whose presence we gather. I want us to make a little journey now, um, and as you've probably noticed from the way I preached to you, I really don't like to shortchange you. Like, today's a high solemnity, and I'm not going to tell you something silly like, oh, it's like the Trinity's like a solid, a liquid, and a gas, or the Trinity's like the three leaves on a clover. No, all of that you can leave in the, in the books that you threw out when you turned six years old, okay? Let's, let's leave that behind. And let's come to encounter the true and living God who calls us. Those readings today were stunning for the Feast of the Trinity. Beautiful, challenging, um, illuminating readings. I want us to make a three-part little journey here. And it's not the Father, Son, and Spirit. That would be too obvious. The journey I want us to make now is um, something about God. Let's get our bearings on what exactly we think when we think of God. Then let's get our bearings on us. Because you'll remember in the opening passages of Genesis, God created us in what image? In his own. In God's image and likeness, man and woman were fashioned. So our understanding of God directly relates to our understanding of ourselves and each other. That's why we have such profound dignity. Because God is to be worshipped. Therefore, we resemble that utter good that we worship. And then finally, and, and this is going to shock us, really, but the third movement that I'd like to make is becoming like God, which is, which is what our journey is about, really. But let's not jump the gun. We'll get our bearings first. What do we think of when we think of God? Thankfully, we're not left to natural reason alone, but we have revealed to us in the person of Jesus and in the teaching of the church, a triune God. One God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, infinite in majesty, eternal in glory, as it said in those prayers. It's important to understand that God is, if you like, a substance all his own. That means whatever God is made out of, everything that God creates is a different substance. It's a different thing. God doesn't make creation out of God's self. He makes it out of nothing. It is different to what he is. That's very, very important to note at the outset, that God's substance is, is a totally unique thing. It's not like any other created thing. It's, in fact, uncreated. Um, and, and it's unlike everything else we've, we've noticed. Therefore, it doesn't belong in any category of created things we can think of. Oh, it's the biggest, the most powerful, the oldest. No. All of those are creaturely categories. The substance of God is above and beyond any of those categories. That's important. Secondly, God is, we might say, in perfect bliss 
from eternity. Perfect happiness, perfect peace, perfect contentment. In other words, God doesn't need anything. Um, God is not sitting up there before creation, lonely or bored or in need of something to entertain himself. No. God is perfectly happy and content within God's self. Is that much okay so far? Good. Because if we have that established, then we understand that God created us with a complete lack of self-interest. God has nothing to gain or profit from us except the fact that there's loving relationship to be found. He gains our enjoyment. Think about that. He gains the fact that we enjoy his life. God creates us with no self-interest. It's a completely gratuitous act. It's the meaning of caritas, charity. Love for the other as other. Not so that I can get something, even a good feeling. Um, no. So creation is a tremendously romantic thing. God creates us so that we would know his love. Good. In what ways is this stuff that God creates, which is a whole lot of creation, and we are in there as well as the crown of creation, in what way is it other than the substance of God? Well, in innumerable ways, but let's say just a couple. For one thing, whatever God creates, we would say is contingent. It's not necessary. It doesn't need to be there, as we've already established. We can't exist without God, but God can exist without us. See what I'm saying? We hang um, almost accidentally in the balance because God desires us to be there. But we're hanging really on God. We're finite. God's not finite. We're physical. God is not physical. God has no form before the incarnation. And finally, we have what we might call potential, which means we can grow and change and uh, we have a whole lot of things that can be actualized in time. But God has, in a sense, no potentiality because God is absolutely actual. In other words, there's nothing in God that needs to develop or mature or grow or, or be birthed. God is God. God is complete. Okay. All of this we need to put on the map for who God is because it helps us understand that the Trinity is not a temporal thing. It's not like God um, created the Son, created the Spirit in, in nature, and we've somehow discovered them. No, from eternity, before there was even a clock to tick, Father, Son, and Spirit are enjoying this eternal, wonderful communion of life and love. That's the God we know. That same eternal God is the one who enters into creation, and we encounter him in time and space, we being temporal, physical creatures here on earth. But that God is the one who comes and reaches out to us that we might share in his own blessed life. It's remarkable. So now let's say something about ourselves, which is probably more familiar territory. What can we say about ourselves? If I can, I'll invite you now to think of someone in your life whom you love and who by virtue of their love for you and your love for them has left a lasting impact in your life, even if they're not currently with you. Think of someone who there has been such an intense love that a lasting impact, which is never going to go away, is now there. Can everyone think of someone like that? 
good. Let's just honor that and give thanks for that, um, that ongoing presence. It's a mysterious presence, but it's, but it's something very real. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to recollect it. We're, we're holding it in our hands right now. Let's breathe it in. Let's give thanks. Secondly, I'd ask us now, think of explicitly, concretely, some things that that person who you love has done or has said. Not just feelings or... or um, it's, it's sort of more concrete than the first thing. The first thing is, they're precious. Okay. The second thing is, they said these words. They did this thing. It was concrete. It was enacted. Think about that as well. And if you can think of a few instances, let's give thanks for them as well. Those are powerful moments of revelation. Thirdly then, I'd ask us to consider for a second, where did that feeling that we just gathered up and where did those acts and words come from? And by the way, I'm not like crudely just wedging God in the picture, but I'm saying the things we say and the things we do come from somewhere. They don't just magically fall out of my mouth. They, they proceeded, as we say in our creed, they proceeded from somewhere, somewhere hopefully deep in my heart, deep in my mind. They've been formed intentionally and then I've enacted what I want. My motives have been made manifest. Does that make sense? This person who you love has left a presence and historical acts and words that came from somewhere in them. Came from somewhere in them. This is the case with all of us. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, they come from somewhere in us. Deep, hopefully. The deeper, the better. Um, of course, to some degree, the things we say and do are all on the outer layer. You know, it's just ricocheting thoughts and feelings. He said that, I needed this, the culture is this, and, and we're responding to peripheral things. Okay, sure. But at some level, there's a deeper part of us that is giving birth to something. Um, we'll also have to admit, sadly, that sometimes we think and act and speak in ways that are not really representative of who we would like to be. Things come out and we think, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> came from somewhere immature in me or somewhere that's hurt or broken or afraid. And that's an interesting thing to happen because we all know what it means to say such and such is not themselves at the moment. We all know what that means. Such and such is not really themselves right now. The very fact that we can say that is very interesting because how do you know who they are? But you do. You trust that the revelation they've given, the, the self um, the self-exposure that they've said, they've kind of revealed their heart, their mind, and then they act out of character and you think, no, I trust that other stuff. Uh, something's not right with that person. They're hurt or they're scared or something's, something's wrong. And this is really what happens when we come to that little place over there, the confessional. All we're doing, in essence, is saying, I spoke or acted or even thought in a way that is not representative of the heart that Jesus gave me. I want to come back to wherever I went off track and try and proceed out again. Um, I don't want to steal my own punchline, but this is a tremendously Trinitarian motion. Like it is the Trinity in motion in, in your life. 
you in the image and likeness of God. This is, in, in essence, how God moves. It's how we move. It's how God moves. It's how God has designed us to, um, to express ourselves and, 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 to, and to be like him. That brings us to the third part of this little journey we want to make. It's about becoming like God. Um, it dawned on me not long ago, only a few days ago, that if we had the courage to admit it, it sounds kind of horrendous to say it, but if we had the courage to admit this, what we most basically want for ourselves, for our children, for our leaders, um, for our, uh, I don't know, teachers, for, for people in authority, for people everywhere, what we want is that they would be like God. It sounds kind of jarring to say it like that, doesn't it? But that is what we want, because we want them to be good. We want them to be kind. We want them to have integrity. We want them to be compassionate. We want them to be wise. All this stuff belongs to God. That's what God is. We want them to be like God. Now, the reason it jars us is because it sounds super, super similar, one, to the tempter in the, de in the garden, but two, it sounds like you should be God. And that's when we know we've fallen way off track. You're not God, I'm not God. Collectively, we can't gather our strength and become God. No. We're a different substance. It doesn't matter if there were 300 million gazillion of us. The sum total of that is not God. There are people who think that AI, as intelligent as it is, is going to kind of ascend into a God-like wisdom. No, it's not. People created it. How can people create God? It's kind of so stupid. It's, I can't believe it's on the table, but it is. Um, so, God, so God is, that's not what we are. The question, though, is how do we become like God? How do we find the deepest part of us from where everything proceeds and anchor that in an unshakable union with the one who loves us? The Blessed Trinity dares to enthrone himself in your heart so that in communion with him, your thoughts, your words, your actions would reflect the person of Jesus, the presence of the Spirit. You'd be like God. Not without him, mind you. It's impossible without him. But the more close we draw to him, the more keenly we obey him, which means we're going to run up against our own rough edges, our own egos, our own silly intentions. It's to make God manifest in our lives. I want to share one more last thing. It comes from St. Augustine. If anyone is interested to look it up, look at Augustine's work on the Trinity. It's an epic and a beautiful work. And, and Augustine combs through the scriptures all the way from Genesis to, to the end of it, and he finds all these moments where the, the Trinity is alluded to, more or less explicitly. And at one point he's in the Gospels and he's looking at Jesus and how compassionate the life of Jesus was. And, and in John's Gospel, Jesus says, I've said this before, in John's Gospel, Jesus says, the Son does nothing of his own accord. He only does what he has seen the Father doing. We've already established that the Father is immaterial, non-physical. So, so what did he see in eternity? And Augustine breaks from the Scripture and he says, what are we to understand from this strange word from the Lord? Are we to imagine that the Son from eternity has seen the Father 
touching the leper, gathering children to himself, walking on water, uh, reaching out and touching the woman with the hemorrhage, um, etc., etc. And to my shock, Augustine said, yes, from eternity, the sun, before there was anything, before the Big Bang, right? The sun in eternity has gazed in love at the Father and has seen every single charitable act you can imagine actualized because there's nothing potential in God. Everything is actual. Everything is already being outpoured. And the son who saw that from eternity then comes and takes flesh and does it so that it makes sense when he says, when you see me, you've seen the Father. When you hear my words, these are not my words, they're from the Father. And that means by extension that we, as body of Christ, when we authentically act with charity, with compassion, with gentleness, with wisdom, etc., etc., everything that we hope and wish we can be and strive to be, when we do that authentically, when it proceeds undisturbed, the world is seeing not just the Holy Spirit alive in our lives, Absolutely. And that's God, by the way, in God's fullness. Um, not just the Son who took flesh in the person of Jesus. And that's God, by the way, in his fullness. But they're seeing something that is impossible to see. They're seeing the Father in your humble, charitable acts in the day to day. Think about that for a second. It's remarkable, isn't it? This is some of the mystery of the Blessed Trinity that we come to put our roots down deep into and to really be transformed. Our prayer is that by our humility, by our obedience, the Father would come to be revealed in your lives that the world may know that in the Son of Man, salvation, the fullness of life is to be known and to be found.